Children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back for Children's Church. And for those who remain, I invite you to join me in Luke chapter 16 as we continue our series on the parables with the parable of the dishonest manager. Luke 16, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13. This is God's word. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down and quickly write fifty. Then he said to the another, And how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. But I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. And money. This is God's word. Let's pray that He would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, give us your wisdom that we might understand your word in a way that isn't merely intellectual, but in a way that shapes every fabric of our being. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this, this parable. It makes me dizzy, right? I mean, pastors, commentators, everybody, they come to this parable and they're like, what is going on? It's like that party game that you'd play at a seven-year-old's birthday party where they have the little wiffle ball bats and, and you run and you grab the bat and you run around. I'm not going to demonstrate. You run around it with your head on it seven or eight times and then you have to run back. You just make yourself dizzy, and then the object of the game is to make everybody else laugh at how dizzy you are. And, and if you do it right, if you, if you put your, your heart and soul into spinning around and making yourself really dizzy, there is no way you're getting back. The only thing you can do, everything is spinning, is just like fall on somebody and hold on to them, or fall on the ground and just grab the grass, or, or hold on to a tree until the spinning stops. And when I read this parable, I feel like that makes me dizzy. And I think that's the design of it. 
It's supposed to make us wonder what in the world is going on. Is Jesus really promoting a dishonest, unscrupulous thief as an example for Christians to follow? It spins us around so that the only solid thing left for us to cling to is Jesus Christ himself. And when we lay hold of him, really lay hold of him, and things begin to stabilize, we will see the truth that this parable is teaching. And it's this, that the coming kingdom of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ ought to reshape all of our priorities in the here and now. The coming kingdom of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ ought to reshape all of our priorities in the here and now. And we're going to consider this by asking three questions. And the first is this. What are our priorities exactly? See, I think we're actually a lot more like the dishonest manager than maybe we want to admit. When I was little, uh, there was a series of toys that came out called Zoids, which were these little wind-up robot dinosaurs that you put together and assembled yourself. And they were fun and they were wonderful. And I had several, but my favorite one, I lost one of the little plastic pieces. And it just destroyed me because everything in my world needs to be right, symmetrical, and ordered. That's not necessarily healthy. Um, but I was at a friend's house, and he also had some Zoids, and I noticed he didn't really enjoy them nearly as much as I did, and that little piece was on one of his Zoids, and I took it and put it on mine. And now, almost four decades later, later I'm still ashamed, almost racked with guilt over this, because I'm not a thief. I'm not like that. That's not who I am. And I read this parable, and I'm like, I would never do something like what this dishonest manager did, except for that one time, or maybe the other, or there was that other. But, and then maybe we're a little bit more like him than we want to admit. You see, the, the dishonest manager, he made stealing a normal way of life. Like he took this thing that I think about in isolation and he just wove it into the fabric of how he lived. You see, the landowner had all of these fields and there was too much for him to manage on his own. So he would rent fields out to others who would return a portion of their harvests back to the landowner. It was a good investment for the landowner. It was a, a gracious provision for the people who wanted to work the fields. And the manager was the guy who oversaw the harvests being returned, but he was skimming off the top. When word gets out, the landowner fires him and he says, now bring me the books, bring the ledgers so we can see just how bad you've been stealing. Well, well all, he's already been cooking the books, so he decides what's a little more going to hurt. And so he starts changing the ledger just a little bit more so that people would think he was great. And when he was fired, he'd be welcomed into their homes. And he didn't give a second thought to this. This was normal for him. This was the way of living. Watch out for number one, 
Whatever the cost, no matter who it hurts, no matter what it takes. And we were born into a world that is at its core, hostile to God, have from our earliest days been taught by all the systems and structures of the world around us to live according to the principles of the world. And there are things that we do, things that we say, even ways that we approach scripture or worship or living that are more informed by the things of this world by the God who made it. What are those things? You see this word repeated in this parable, unrighteous wealth. The word there is mammon. You've maybe heard that word. It's not unrighteous in the sense that it's wicked. It's, it's worldly. It's wealth that is a part of this world order that is unrighteous and hostile to God. It's Money, possessions, things. And Jesus remarks how easy it is for us to find ourselves serving mammon. Being shaped and formed by it in ways that that are imperceptible, that we don't even think about. How has mammon shaped you? What do you accept as normal that is actually counter to the kingdom of God? See, the the world is not neutral. Scripture speaks of the the world, the flesh, and the devil as the the three great enemies to the Christian faith. And, And by that, we don't mean the earth and the people in it. The world, the system, it's hostile to God. And it tries to bring everything in its purview into that same system of hostility. How has it shaped you? It's not neutral. Think about about how some of our political discourse goes these days, right? We hear on the news or we read in the paper or you listen to a podcast or you hear somebody on the street or somebody comes to your house or you get a flyer in the mail. And it's like, if this person gets elected, everything's over. All of your happiness will be gone. Whatever it takes, we need to make sure this person is crushed and defeated and destroyed. They are enemies. Devote your lives. Devote your money. Devote your resources. Devote yourself to undoing this person from power. And I don't care what political party it is. It's all the same line. But how does that comport with the words of Christ Jesus? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Serve that your Father in heaven might be glorified. Or think about how There are so many commentators and preachers, and I'm probably even guilty of, I'm definitely guilty of this in ways I don't even recognize, who who find ideas that they love, maybe economic theories, political strategies, 
views of art and culture that, and they, they find these things they love and then they turn to the scriptures and, oh, wow, it's, we find it there too. And our ideas that we had already shaped and formed, we find, managed to find somewhere in scripture and say, see, God agrees with me. And maybe we wouldn't preach it that way. Maybe we wouldn't say it that way. But we come to scriptures and we look for the things that are just going to reaffirm the things that we already believe. We already think are true. How does that comport with the scriptures themselves? The Lord Jesus says, build your house on the rock. Listen to my words. And let the whole structure be shaped and formed according to the things that I say, not the things that you think I say. Because you've heard it said, this, that, or the other. But I tell you something true and unshakable. Or even when we think about how how our culture is driving us to this radical individualism, To the exclusion of everything else. I mean, I remember way back in the 80s and 90s, you know, your way right away, the fast food restaurant slogan. I don't even remember which one it was. Don't tell me, I don't care. You know, already then it was beginning to shape and form us. But now, now we live in a world where you could work remotely, order your food with DoorDash, never marry Find all your satisfaction, such as it is, on the internet. Binge watch whatever shows that you want. Never really have to interact with any other human being, and you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, all the time. And that, that sort of thing is celebrated because if you start getting into close relationships with other people, they ask things of you. You have to... You have to change. You have to, to grow. You, you, we even think of, of marriage in terms of, I'll find my soulmate, the one who will be so compatible with me, who will be everything that I need, so I'll never have to grow and change. They'll just accept me for exactly who I am. And if you've ever married anyone at all whatsoever, you know that's a lie. But we think this way, this radical individualism that, that wants us to just live For number one, where do we get that? We weren't taught it. Not overtly. We grew up in it. It's the water in which we swim. It's the air we breathe. It's the world system we've always been a part of. What this parable ought to do is Jesus calls us to think through how we should live in analogy to a dishonest manager, it ought to make us go, well, wait a minute, well, what, what are my priorities exactly? What are the things that are shaping me truly? Who is it that I'm really serving? And as we ask that question, we'll come to our second question, which is this. Well, okay, if I find out what my priorities really are, maybe I don't like them. What should my priorities actually be then? Why, Jesus, why would you commend the dishonest manager to us as an example? It doesn't make sense. Sometimes Jesus uses a parable to, to lift up an example that's clearly like a bad guy, like the unjust judge. And he's like, 
if the unjust judge gets it right, how much more? But it's, this is different. This is weird. You have to understand where the dishonest manager was. He was in a, a place where the, the Hail Mary effect comes into being, right? It's, it's this idea that, you know, it's the fourth quarter of the championship football game. There's two seconds left on the clock. You have one more play, and you're 40 or 50 yards away from the end zone. Field goal won't suffice, and you've just got to throw the ball up. A Hail Mary, high as you can, and hope that one of your guys gets under it and catches it in the end zone. Why would you take such a risk? Why would you make such a play? Like the the statistics and percentages on these things are pretty low. The reason is... The way the game is, is the championship. You've got nothing to lose. That's your only shot to win. The manager was in a place where he had nothing to lose. He'd already lost his job. He was already fired. He was sent to fetch the ledgers, to fetch the accounts, to sit down and, and, and own up to all the things that he'd done wrong. Well, what's a little more fraud? He had nothing left to lose. And so he acted based on the one most important priority that he had, the thing that shaped him more than anything else. I want to be happy and comfortable, and so I'm going to act in a way that guarantees that even after I've lost my job, I will be happy and comfortable as I'm welcomed into other people's homes. Notice, the landowner does not praise the dishonest manager for his goodness. He doesn't praise him because he's an upstanding citizen. He doesn't change his mind about firing him either. He doesn't praise him because he's good. He praised him because he was shrewd. He recognized the stakes. And he knew when it was time to go all in on his true priorities. And what Jesus is saying here is that the sons of the world... They're shrewd with dealing with the world. They've grown up in it. It's like water for a fish. But the sons of light, the children of God, we were made. We were adopted into God's household. We we have stepped out of darkness and into light. We have stepped out of the kingdom of the world and into the kingdom of God. And we are not as shrewd in dealing with kingdom things as we ought to be. We need to understand the stakes. We need to understand that the kingdom of God is not just about morality or elections or Bible study. It is about the eternal, unshakable kingdom of God. It is about heaven and hell. It is about life and death. It is about redemption and restoration and reconciliation. And if we don't realize that, we will keep living lives saying we are God's children, but living according to the rules of the world. The dishonest manager did whatever it took to make sure he would have a comfortable life in the world he loved. Jesus is saying that believers need to do whatever it takes to make sure we have a warm welcome into our eternal home. 
And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of mammon, unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. See, as much as the dishonest manager loved worldly wealth and worldly comforts, this world will fail. Mammon cannot deliver on any eternal promises. So Jesus is calling us to reshape our priorities. And in a way, this parable is not about money at all. It is about what do you love? Who do you serve? Is your identity rooted in and formed by Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Or is it shaped and formed by the world order around us? The priorities that the world wants us to have. And in another way, this parable is all about money. Because it's no good to talk about these things in theory. If your priorities are oriented around the kingdom, is that reflected in how you spend your time? Is that reflected in how you spend your money? Is that reflected in how you treat your spouse and your children? Is that reflected in how you treat your coworkers and how you go to work? Is that reflected in all of the things that God has given you? And the things that he's given you in comparison to eternity are little, he says. They're little things. Jesus is calling us to never rest until all of our priorities are reordered and reorganized and reoriented and redeemed according to the eternal kingdom of God. So how? How does that work? How does the eternal glorious kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ reshape our priorities? I mean, would you even know where to begin? It's like cleaning the garage. It started to clean the garage. The garage, you know, everybody puts the stuff there. The renovation crew left stuff there. I've left stuff there. The family's left stuff there. The bugs leave stuff. Like it just piles up. And eventually you get to this point where you're like, I've got to do something. And you walk out there and you're like, oh, but it's so hot outside. And it's so dark in here. And it's so, oh, there are spiders. And I don't, and you just, and you go back inside and you do something else because you don't even want to start. But, but there, there comes this moment where you realize, like, if I don't do something, I'll never do anything. And so you just say, I'm just going to clean up this part. I'm just going to clean up my workbench. And then it's easier to then, well, then I'm going to clean up the other workbench. I'm going to straighten out my tool chest. I'm going to put the paint away. I'm going to organize my scrap wood. And by organize, I mean throw it in the scrap wood pile. I'm going to put the recycling in the recycling. And you just do a little bit by a little bit by a little bit. And all of a sudden you look up and the garage is clean. Mine's not clean yet, so don't come look at it. But, But we're getting there. It's significant that Jesus says in verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. God, God does not set us in a place where the burdens of all eternity fall upon our shoulders because we cannot bear it. He gives us a little that we might learn faithfulness there so that he can give us more and more. And more, that we might grow in faithfulness 
to him and his kingdom, that we might learn more and more to put to death the effects that mammon has on our priorities and our way of life and to live more and more in a way that beholds and loves and delights in the glory of God. Just as the dishonest manager acted in accordance with the one thing he loved most, himself, so we ought to learn to act in accordance with the one thing we love the most. And if we are going to be sons and daughters of light, that one thing, it's not a doctrine, it's not a practice, it's not a habit, it's not a philosophy, it's not an idea, it is a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We ought to shape and order everything that we are and everything that we have. And so if this parable makes you dizzy, the only way to get back to a place where the world isn't spinning around you and making you ill is to grab hold of Jesus because you cannot serve God and mammon. You need to grab hold of one or the other. And the only one who will stand for all eternity is Jesus Christ. So who are you really serving? What are you really becoming like? See, Jesus tells us you will know a tree by its fruits. And maybe you are only bearing little fruit here and now, but what is the fruit that you are bearing? Is it the fruit of the social media outrage machine that wants you to be mad about something else? Or is it the fruit of the Spirit? that abounds with the grace and love and kindness and glory of Jesus? Is it the the fruit of this pursuit of more and more and more and more and more? Because maybe if we just get another thing and have another raise and get a little bit more, then we'll be happy? Or is it the fruit of listening to the word of Christ and that Sermon on the Mount that calls us to be blessed Not by the things of this world, but by our Father in heaven, by our connection to Jesus Christ himself and our attentiveness to him, his word, and his way. Is it serving the busy individualism that this world calls us to? There's another workout. There's another diet. There's another job. There's another... Post, there's another like, there's another movie, there's another TV show, there's another book, there's another car, there's another something out there that you need to hold fast to your heart if you listen to the world. Or do we learn what Jesus means in his teachings on what it means not to have another, but to love one another? a community of faith where we give up our individualism to some extent to find connection to a community that's united not by class, not by race, not by gender, but by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is shaped and molded by him.
See, this could be a sermon about the tithe. This could be a sermon about missions. This could be a sermon about serving in the nursery or making coffee and tea during the fellowship time. This could be a sermon about love because it's a sermon about learning what it means to be the people of Christ. Not just called by his name, but shaped by his glory. So that the things he loves, the things that he prioritizes, the way in which he goes, the things we follow after. Who do you really serve? Maybe you've got a lot happening in your life and, and it, like you can't even begin to think about it. I, I know a little bit about what this might be like. Maybe your parents are struggling with their health. Maybe your kids are struggling in school. Maybe you're struggling at work or with your spouse. And, and it's got you so dizzy you can't see straight. It's a mercy that the Lord sends us parables and scripture like this that shake us up, that leave us a little bit dizzy. It has the opportunity to shake us out of our slumber, to shake us out of our lethargy, to shake us out of our complaining, to shake us out of our complacency, to get to a place where we realize we have got to grab hold to Jesus or we are going to fall away. Cling ever tighter to him. That you might be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make this true in us and through us, Lord, that we would be a people characterized not by the things of this world, but characterized by the glory of our Lord Jesus. We can't can't manufacture that. We need to learn what it means to be faithful to that vision for life that you have set before us. And so we pray that you would lift Christ up before us, that you would send your spirit to strengthen us, Lord, that you would make the promises of the Father root deeply in our hearts and souls and minds, that in everything we would be coming back again and again and again to our Lord Jesus, that we might know what it means to live according to the priorities of his kingdom and his glory. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Let's stand.